Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a theme of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact of it with a guest, who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. This month, I'm exploring some films from John Sales, and joining me to discuss is uh, co-host of Cast of Cthulhu, and that other co-host is me, uh, James McCormick. <laughs> James, it seems like uh, if you only listen to I Do Movies Badly, it's been a long time. Uh, for us, it's been about yes. 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm always a good last-minute like addition to any podcast. <laughs> like, uh, I need someone. Uh, let me get that utility player, and like... And plus, like I said, like we've been working on our podcast for months now, so it's like, why not? And when you told me the uh, topic, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm a fan, so that's actually even better. Yeah, and it, it's it's good. Uh, it's good that one James doesn't mind being my silver medal, uh, but <laughs> but also just you've got such an encyclopedic knowledge that it's like I can throw it a direct like, hey, what about this one? And you'll be like, yeah, okay, that's good. Um, peek behind the curtain. I was I was I was down to. Based on what James's interests are in his experience, I was like John Sales or Mario Bava, but John Sales, in my mind, seems like he's a more—I don't want to say interesting director, but if you look at his resume as a director and as a writer, he's all over the map in terms of what he's worked on and just—I mean—he's been pretty active from the '70s to today, and yeah. yet he's not really a well-known name. Which is, which to me is strange because. He's done some really big film, like you know, big films in genre. Like you know, we were talking before, everything from The Howling, mm-hmm. he adapted, you know, for screen for Joe Dante. He did Alligator, which is a fun monster film. I mean, he wrote Battle Beyond the Stars, which is Corman's uh, world of uh, Magnificent Seven, Sam- Seven Samurai, but in space, <laughs> which you know, Star Wars was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Piranha, Joe Dante again before. And, like, he's a guy that came from the Roger Corman school of filmmaking. Basically, here's a little bit of money. Have fun. And, like, he wrote scripts for Corman's world. He didn't direct. And then he used that money from the scripts he was getting, like, they're getting paid for, about $30,000. And that's how he made his first, how he funded his first film, Return of the Seclaca 7. So he's always been very privy to like limited budgets and figuring out how to do it but also it's i think because he's such a great writer and he i think he's one of the best writers for like um characters and like just dialogue itself i think there's something about him that puts him on a level that i i, I personally think he should be more well known mm-hmm. but you know there's only so many people that we can all praise but i think he's like when you when you gave when you said john sales or mario bava most of the time, people would think, "Oh, James is going to pick Mario Bava," <laughs> and it's probably true. But I kind of said, "You know what, Mario Bava, I love, but I think John Sales is like the complete deal. Like he writes, directs, he edits most of his films. He like you know scouts. He like 
and he's just this like nice like from everything I've seen of him he just seems like this nice gentle soul but he writes some like sometimes some horrific stuff but it's all it's all in reality mm-hmm. you know what I mean like it's the working class like he delves into like that a lot but like people screwing up in some way and then it's like again like funny to say but it's it's not always a happy ending it's sometimes that love that you think should be isn't completed at the end it's sometimes and that's kind of like what's like heartbreaking about some of his screenplays where you just feel like so sad for these characters you're like like you want them to like go on but then ultimately you're like no they're they're toxic together (laughs) and most and most filmmakers would like you know like a romantic comedy or even a a romantic film I'll, i'll watch them from the 70s and 80s and it's like they should not be together (laughs) <laughs> like these characters should not be, and like something like Baby It's You, he did um, with uh, Victor Spano and um, Rosanna Arquette. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when I first saw that film, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be the typical. They they love each other. There's a misunderstanding of some sort, or like they just don't connect anymore. But then years later, they'll they'll figure it out. But ultimately, they really don't. Like it's just kind of like you know what, you're kind of a loser. And we're not in tune with each other more. And it's almost like an acceptance of it, which is almost like a beautiful thing. It's not like, I hate you, you know, go to hell. It's more like, let's just have that one last dance mm-hmm. and feel like we're together, but we won't be. Right. And it's like, there's something about him that he can do that. And it's just insane. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think, like, he deserves a lot of love, especially, mm. like, he's he's a guy, like, you know, if you've watched the Criterion Closet videos before, he has one, and his goes into like mostly Italian film. Okay, which was great, like La Strada, The Organizer. But then again, it makes sense because his dad was in World War Two. Mm-hmm. He grew up in um, Schenectady, mm-hmm. New York, and then I think, and then later on moved to Boston for college, I think, or something. But then he, you could tell he's got this love of film of all types, and like. He, like you know, the organizer is a film that I think deals with unionization, you know, unionization, and like in Italy. Mm-hmm. And then he brought that to films like you know, like his film Make One, which is about a union strike. And like that film is a masterpiece, which I thought would never be put out. And then Criterion just put it out. So he's a guy that I think is he's 69 years old now. Mm-hmm. He's born in 1950, same year as my dad. That's why I'm trying to think. But I'm like he. I think it's finally the like the internet and just other filmmakers and other like film scholars are finally bringing his name up more and he's still working like he's working on a film right now that's been in kind of a um not hell but like he's writing the script now for um a new Django film right and that's been a work because I know because my friend this guy Mike Malloy he was working on that film five or six or seven years ago with a script and had it all funded and then shit went crazy and whatever and now the rights have like gone back to and he's like the guy's great because he's like well you know if i'm gonna not do the film anymore but someone like john sales is gonna come on board to do the script now so be it (laughs) go go crazy with it and he's also like a script doctor too that's why he he does well in hollywood he's behind the scenes a lot like stuff like i mean Apollo 13, he script wrote and, mm. you know, like, like did script doctoring and uh, Mimic, the Guillermo del Toro okay. film. And then we were joking before about 
E.T. And he wrote the original Night Skies. Oh, that was him. Yes. Okay. That's why I didn't want to... That's why in our last episode of cast, uh, I didn't want to. Okay. I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to like say it right there. But mm-hmm. it's funny. And then he even was later commissioned by Spielberg mm-hmm. to write a script for the unused fourth Jurassic Park film. It was going to be Jurassic Park, not the Jurassic World, but his was batshit insane. Was it? it was but, his, Was his the one with like the Raptors had like weapons the attached gun, to them, weapons. like laser? Yeah. But you know what? I read this, like parts of the script. It was ridiculous, but I think it would have been a whole lot better than the Jurassic World movies we got. I mean, that wouldn't be hard. The toys would have been better. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but it shows that he he has this weird understanding like, okay, I need to make money. I can write these like fun, ridiculous like genre scripts with like with little more character to them. Mm -hmm. Like if you watch Alligator, his script, it, it feels like this weird like. You're like watching, you go, wow, this is a weird film. It's about a killer alligator under the under the sewers, but yeah. there's something else about it. Like, okay, there's something weird about this film, and then he uses all that to fund his actual more serious, like heady films about life, about relationships, about you know, work, the working class is a big thing, and mm-hmm. I kind of and and he's also really good friends with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, because that, that's one of the things I notice is on IMDb, yeah. one is, three of his directing credits are for Springsteen, and, and most famously, I guess, for Born in the USA. Is, is... And Glory Days. Those two alone. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. He, it's just funny. Like, you know, he's not, you know, he's just a guy that I think, and plus Bruce Springsteen seems like a cool down-to-earth guy, too, for how famous he is. So it's, he, yeah. it makes sense, like, they somehow partner up and then just make some fun little simple like videos like it's cool like that's the only time i think he ever did like music videos mm-hmm. you know but yeah there's so many different things he almost got done and again like we, we talked about john carpenter like he almost did a, a hbo series about the red hot chili peppers anthony kiedis but about his early life okay growing up in like a weird drug household but like hollywood infused and it was going to be called Scar Tissue, and okay. it actually sounded really interesting because, like, his father was a, I think, a big time drug dealer. Yeah, um, like to like the Who and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so he always was in the world of showbiz. So that would have been a hell of a series, like that, an HBO dealing with like a drug crime series, but based in reality on this really famous musician who grew up around that shit mm-hmm. would have been great he would have given it the life but again like a lot of things just kind of fell apart you know which he's has said he's used to that as a writer but right but yeah but i mean you know he's he's been nominated for oscars he's like just this great i don't know just i don't know why this maybe he's too nice maybe that's why he's not known as much well and and that's what's so weird is just when i looked at his imdb page when i was just you know uh, brainstorming the idea of doing him and just seeing, like, he's been nominated for two Oscars. I mean, most filmmakers can go through their entire life and not even get close to sniffing one nomination. This guy's been nominated twice, and yeah. even someone like me who considers himself somewhat of a cinephile, I can't tell you anything about this guy. Right. And that's kind of like what I love about film, like, in general. There's so many different filmmakers, like, writers, directors that, no matter how much I, like, retain and like learn and like watch every day i feel like i find something new Mm -hmm. 
someone new that I never heard of, an actor that I've never realized did 20 other films that were even crazier. And it's like, you start to see that. And that's kind of like what I love about just talking about film. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow, this guy is had a hell of a career. But I feel like because he wasn't, um, his films were never moneymakers. Mm-hmm. That's probably a reason why you don't see his name pound pounds of floor. I mean, he's also a, a novelist. Mm. I mean, he wrote a book back in the 70s, I think, called Pride of the Bimbos, about a little person who plays baseball. Mm. But it's and it's like a satirical look at America and like the pastime, which that makes sense. Then years later, he did Eight Men Out. It's mm. kind of funny, <laughs> but but it's a really good book. It's and it does it doesn't make fun of like oh it's. A, it's a little person playing baseball. That's actually all very serious. And that's kind of like why I think he's very in tune like with society and like people and like, you know, he doesn't like hammer you over the head with like, oh look, get it? It's like more like, no, it just happens to be a little person. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it's kind of a weird thing, but it's like you know, but I mean I think he even worked on the show um that got a lot of great press the alienist also yeah i've heard great things about that but it's just funny like okay he, he just keeps working doing like and then like if he's he, he has a lot of friends in hollywood that he'll do a movie here and there like he's in matinee joe dante's film <laughs> you know like like it's all these different i think he even played um i don't know he's just been in weird like when you look at his career it's like a weird career and and yeah that's the thing because i mean he's connected with joe dante he he wrote the script for Piranha and for The Howling. Those are both Joe Dante films. But if I remember correctly, and feel free to, to um, correct me if I'm wrong, he was also buddies with some of those new Hollywood filmmakers, wasn't he? In the sense of, I mean, like, you know, he comes from the Corman school, so did uh, Coppola. Lucas learned some stuff from him. Scorsese did. So like, Scorsese, he, yeah. He's, like, like, he's also connected with those new Hollywood guys as well. Which is weird, because he went a different route yeah. than than them like they went on like right away like like in a way they they went away doing films like them you know like directing right away he it almost seemed like he waited like five ten years after he was just writing and then said okay let me try to start doing both but also still write mm. on the side so i get i know i have that paycheck coming and it, i mean who knows like night skies you know like the early draft he probably got paid a lot of money for that. Spielberg was huge. I mean, he still is, but, you know, Spielberg was like, right. you know, he needed that big hit, but, like, it's like, come on. who? Nobody knew E.T. was going to be that big of a film at the time, but, like, Close Encounters and Jaws previously. It's like, okay, and you could tell Spielberg liked him mm. a lot. He, want, he wanted to come back to Jurassic Park himself to direct the fourth one. Yeah. And then, I guess, it was just a little too... Heady, but then they kind of copied a little bit of that in the second Jurassic World mm-hmm. with the weaponizing a dinosaur. Yeah, it's yeah. Not to the extent, but it's like a similar idea, and it's just funny to be like, huh, they kind of took a little bit, and I think that's a lot of times what happens to his unmade scripts. A lot of times people Frankenstein it a lot. They go, okay, we'll take this a little bit, take that, and go on from there. And like, I feel like a lot of his films later on, like in the 2000s, and when he, he hasn't directed, I think, since 2013, mm-hmm. they're much more lower budget, but dramas and like stuff like, you know, com- you know, being a film, like a, a video store guy, 
I would go, I wouldn't go and like necessarily go, oh, I'm going to rent, you know, something like Silver City with Chris Cooper or mm-hmm. Casa de los Babies. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't ring to me. But then becoming a John Sales fan, you start watching these films, you go, okay, there is a, this, there's a something about them that you know it's a John Sales film just by the inclusion of like always great character actors. He always has like just good casts of people. And he works with a lot of people the same, like Chris Cooper, he's worked with since 1980, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's still work, you know, up until the, the mid to late 2000s. So Chris Christopherson, he did a lot with like, you know, Victor Spano, Tony Lobianco, like all these like great like character actors. He keeps working with them because they like these roles. They're like very meaty roles. Mm-hmm. They get to have fun, but it's not to the same extent of like most Hollywood films where they have to kind of keep it down a bit, you know? Once again, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. You or any listener who's out there, for some reason there's a nugget in my brain which is saying that he had some type of input or influence or helped Lucas to some degree in shaping the first Star Wars movie. I don't know if that's true. I've heard that thing too. Yeah, I, I, I've never seen him or Lucas say it, but I've seen other people. So it could be true. I, I feel like I maybe, mean, maybe that's one of those things that I heard somewhere Coppola saying something about it. I, I don't know. I For some reason, John Sayles and Star Wars, there's some type of connection in my brain, and I don't know where that's coming from. I could see them hanging out, especially... It would make kind of sense because then, like in like eighty one or whatever, when he wrote um, "Battle Beyond the Stars," it's very much like the fun parts of like Star Wars, like it's like flying ships and like battling um, evil John Saxon with a weird face tattoo. <laughs> it's like you know he's supposed to be Darth Vader. It's like okay, I see where you're getting with this, but mm. yeah, but like that's kind of the thing. He works with like these great actors and like. Again, like I said, he, he worked on some genre films, but then his love of, like, film is, like, really more serious, you know, true life. Stuff that you know you, like, you either heard about from history. Right. Or from something like, you know, just couples, the couples, you know, like, having a tiff or friends, friendships that we haven't seen each other for 20 years. But still friends, right? Yeah, but then it's not... It's not there anymore. Right, yeah. Very realistic, very, very relatable stuff. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like why... That might be a reason why he's not as famous when it comes to his films because they're very, you know, right there. What you're watching is... That's the world. But we know that world, so it's not as crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like a killer piranha jumping out and like biting your faces off. <laughs> that's more memorable in a sense. But I think... I think through the years his films have been getting more praise and I think with uh, Mate Wan coming into the um, the Criterion Collection I think more of his films are going to start popping up I think in the next two or three years if we don't see another two of his films in there I'll be surprised but mm-hmm. I think it's about time Like I think with that first one that's to get okay oh John Sales okay now what else has he done and then sure. Criterion does that they do it as a test I think mm. to get you know, okay, and then I could see something like Lone Star definitely going into the collection or something like Brother okay. from Another Planet. All right. I could definitely see these films, like, jumping in. Hell, even if they want to do, like, a big deal with, like, Eight Men Out, mm. you know? 
and that's a, you know, I think that's also an MGM film. I don't think it's been on, I don't think it ever I don't think it's been on on Blu-ray. I think it's just been on DVD, like an old DVD. But I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, like still, yeah, like a special edition of it came out in 2013 on DVD. Okay, so it's interesting what you say about him taking a different direction than the, those new Hollywood guys because it seemed like it was one of two directions for them establishing themselves as sort of like this auteur who's going to continue for the rest of their life kind of toiling to be this auteur you had that with like Scorsese or Friedkin or Robert Altman or whatever or someone like uh or Spielberg or Lucas that kind of went you know I have a hit now and I'm taking this off to like launch into my mainstream career and I remember having conversations with friends of like um now I'll preface this by saying now we are all aware of how horrible of a human being Brian Singer is. Yes. Uh, well, we are, and I. Th- but I feel like we, we live in a world where it's there. We all hear it. We hear it over and over again, yet he still gets work. Does that make sense to you? Like, I mean, I, it's almost like Victor Salva, which sadly, tying into Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. keeps helping this guy. Yeah. And, and it's like, I, lo- I love Coppola, but it's like, you're an asshole. What are you doing? He's a rapist. Like, it's, it's simple. They're both rapists. So a- it's like... Child rapist. Come on. Let's let's be let's be that, clear about that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not even that bad. It's even worse. You know, it's like you're mm-hmm. real scum. Yeah. But they uh, keep making films. Yet, yet, yet again, John Sayles can't. You know, hasn't made like a film himself since 2013. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, it's like come on. But when it, when it comes to just the the career the career path, because we know Singer's a, a bad human being. But I remember having yeah. conversations with a friend about like. Him looking at Brian Singer making uh, The Usual Suspects and launching that mm-hmm. into a mainstream career. And my friend kind of being upset and like, you know, fuck this guy for being a sellout. And like, listen, how could you possibly begrudge someone for basically taking that success and, and, and wrangling it into what they've always wanted to do and making money off of that? Right. That, I, I hate that mentality. Yeah. But, but John Sayles seems like he's kind of in the middle. Like... Uh, he never became yeah. the mainstream guy, and yet as a screenwriter, he's got credits on films such as The Spiderwick Chronicles, which was a, an adaptation yeah. of a popular children's uh, literary series. But then also, mm-hmm. um, he kind of seemed to take the career of... I feel bad I keep linking this back to terrible people. James Toback has now also been me too in the sense of stories about him coming out. But yeah. his career following the path of basically... he was He did the films he wanted to do to relatively little fanfare is just like, I'm going to, I'm going to make the movies I want to make. Oh yeah. I mean, going back to Tobak, I think fingers is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best films made in America, like in the eighties, but he's a piece of shit. It's just like one of those things. Like I, I, I see the comparison because he, yeah, he always made films that, you know, a little more confrontational, a little more, I don't care what Hollywood thinks, but then again, you find out how he is, you're like, well, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. I wasn't made aware of Tobek until his Tyson documentary, um, which was, what, 2008? And he'd been working since the 70s. Yeah, that's r- roughly when I... And it's funny, because then years later, like probably probably like 2017, I think it was Nighthawk or Drafta. It might have been Nighthawk. Had a pre- presentation of Fingers. Okay. And James Tobak came. And that was an awkward Q and A. I was just, I mean, because he, because he is a character. Like he is like 
the way you think he is, the way you see him, he's like that. But he was he was reserved, and nobody asked like serious questions about any of those allegations or stuff like that. Which I was glad because I didn't want to have like a battle, like people fighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then again, it was just weird to me. Though. I'm like, wait, they're actually having James Toback? Yeah, it... like it was weird to me. And and this is like ten years or so after it came out during the Tyson doc. So it's like, yeah, huh? I remember hearing the stories about black and white and like, oh sure, the crazy shit behind that, you know. Yeah. But but then again, like it's funny. You look at people like that that made a career and then like they're just pieces of garbage behind the scenes and then you know knock on wood i've never heard a bad story about john sales it always seems like he's a an actor's director mm-hmm. he writes for actors he's like and i think it comes from he just loves films and just wants to create these characters be it like i said be it from reality like the 1919 you know white socks or just you know Jack and Jill, you don't know who they are, but you know people like them. Yeah, and, and it, it, it seems like based on what you're saying, and even even on IMDb, it says like after he graduated college, he took a bunch of blue collar jobs and was working in a factory. And like it seems like that has yeah. maybe imbued his films with the sense of like I'm going to make stories about regular people uh, because that's what I know and that's what's more interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, and he also he's he's a um, Catholic half Irish. I'm not sure what the other half is, but you know, another guy he works with a lot is, um, um, David straight, straight Okay. Um, I don't yeah. know why I can never say his name, but Str- I, I think, I think it's supposed to be Strathairn, but who knows that, that sounds more right to me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but then again, it also makes sense. He, he got his degree in psychology. Okay. Which then kind of probably plays into how he knows how to write characters so well. Like, I don't know. I'm, might be looking into it more than that, but I think not going to school as a writer, mm-hmm. but just being a good writer. Yep. And like working, I think like he also while doing those blue collar jobs, he worked on the Atlantic, the the mag, you know, the magazine. Yeah, Atlantic, of course. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of makes sense, you know, like something that's been around for so long and that deals basically gives writers a avenue to kind of mm-hmm. do whatever they want almost, but like in an intellectual way and like. That's kind of where he came from with his first novel in '75, *The Pride of the Bimbos*. He used that as a jumping point, then got involved with Corman, and then used that money. Like it almost like every step he took was because of something that he learned from before, which is what you're supposed to do in life. But yeah. he used that for the next step, and then he used that for the next step, and then he used that for. And each thing he learns something more. Like he travels the world, and then he sees shit going on in mexico then he makes men with guns like mm-hmm. you know it's interesting to me like how he picks and chooses where he goes and like like you said he has a varied career and like if you look at his films it doesn't look like a lot of filmmakers careers like which is kind of weird to say like you know scorsese he doesn't just make gangster films of course not but sure. every so often he pops back into that genre mm-hmm. of like gangster but then he'll do shutter island but then he'll do hugo then he'll so like yeah it almost feels like he's to me like scorsese's probably the closest like of the people he was working with that mentality of like he could do crime he can do a little bit of sci-fi he can do a little bit of he wrote horror you know what i mean like so yeah 
But I mean, even even a film like Limbo, I think he made in '99. That was like the first film uh, Screen Gems ever released. Okay. Which is a big company we know. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Screen Gems. I, I know that. That was like their first film. You know, and like that's another actress he worked with a lot. Uh, Mary Elizabeth. Uh, Winston. No, no, no. That would be funny. No, um, <laughs> the other one, Mary Elizabeth uh, Mast. Mastodon Tom- Oh, Tomio. oh, she, uh, yeah. She was, uh, she was in The Abyss. She was also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yes. And, and even Scarface. She was the sister. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, Scarface. And, and um, yeah. one of those, I think one of those Law & Order shows for a while. Like, der- Criminal Intent, I think, yeah. during Jeff Goldblum's tenure on it. I think, you're, I think you're right, yeah. But, like, it makes sense. Like, he just, again, you look at his career, you go, there's all these through lines of same actors coming back. Same, like, you know, and I kind of love that. Like, it's like Scorsese. Same, a lot of same actors pop up again. He finds a new star, but, like, it's still, you know, like, you have the De Niro era, but then De Niro came back. You have the DiCaprio era, but mm-hmm. he still works with a lot of the same people. And, like, same same with John Sales. I think, I really just wish more people knew. It was more of a name that people brought up for, like, great writing. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think he's a really good director. He's a very underrated director. I think you don't make that many films that get like praise. Yeah. Without being a good director, it's not like some filmmakers. Oh, he's made a Godfrey House made 180 films, but he's not a good director because he just he was a Hong Kong director that would just splice films from his career and put them together as another <laughs> film. Like right. that's why Richard Richard um, Richard uh, Harrison, I think it was Richard Harrison or Richard Harris. Richard Harrison, did both British. Yeah, because uh, Richard Harris, Richard, Richard yeah. Harris was uh, was English Bob from Un, uh, Unforgiven and also uh, Dumbledore from yeah. the first two Harry yeah. Potter movies. Yeah, yeah. He, James is waving me off like, yeah, yeah, I know. Shut up. That yeah, but see, I don't know if people know we're on video together. That's why, like, <laughs> so we know each other. Um, but yeah, like Richard Harrison ended up doing seventeen ninja films, but he only filmed one. And I remember him going. I'm not getting paid for 17 films, <laughs> which is imagine that like, Hey Jim, I need you to do this podcast for me. Okay, cool. But then I just edit you in every podcast <laughs> for years. Yeah. Every- and you're like, I haven't done that podcast for two years. It's it just well, take, still on it, it. it. It's just taking some way to me going like, Hmm, and just putting it mm, in various yeah. different points of other episodes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> it is. And, and it was, it's funny. Yeah. Cause I, John Sales has always been a, a name to me ever since even after I graduated college that I knew this was a guy and yet periodically right. I'd look him up and just be like I don't recognize any of these titles like what are you talking about and, and just and I wonder I wonder and hope if there's this idea of because he's been so outside of the mainstream that he's mm-hmm. just not a dick basically <laughs> right right I think that's what it is I think He's not like you know. It's it's weird. It's like he's not like a big kiss ass. You mm. know what I mean? Like some you know that get fame, but they're nice people. But they kiss ass. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But he's not a scumbag, so he's not popular with that either. So it's just like he does. He he has a good career. He just keeps working. But I think like through through his years, he's made films that are memorable when you watched them. Like you mm. know what I mean? It's weird to say that, but like some films, you you know, like okay, I watched. Star Wars at a young age, that's always going to be in, in tune with my head. Or, like, something like The Thing. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, man, like, how the hell did he do that? But sales is a little more, like, 
trying to think of the word, but basically you watch this film and like it sticks with you in a different way. You kind of go, wow, like that was some like that was just a good film. Like okay, that's you know you, it's weird. Like Eight Men Out, you know, like like I was big into baseball as a kid, so I watched that and going like, wow, these people are pieces of shit. You know, like you know they they didn't really hide. It. You know, they, he doesn't hide it either. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they were cheats and they got in trouble for it. But what was the story leading up to that? And, you know, it makes it more interesting. Like, the mob is involved, and he throws it in. But, like, you know, it's one of to me, it's one of John Cusack's best acting roles. Like, especially at that time when he was, you know, babyface John Cusack. This was a little more trying to branch away from the babyface, you know. And he, got, and he got good praise. And that's the other thing. Like, his movies are weird. Like, they... They'll cost like six million to make, and they'll make almost six million. Like he he doesn't have hits, but they, I don't think they lose so much either. They kind of stay. That's why I think they keep making. They're like, well, in video, video will make the money back. Okay. Well, and so so, so looking at his his IMDb, uh, even his profile, there's two personal quotes attributed to him that I think are very telling. First one is he okay. says, "Being a screenwriter is a good job. I can make a good amount of money to put back into my own films." And then one from 83, he's saying, uh, because directing is, a very polit- is very political and social, it takes up more of your time than writing does. It's more demanding because you have to make the movie when the money is there. So it seems like here's a guy that he's, yeah. he's fine raking in the money from just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do some rewrites or I'll do that. And then, but when he directs, it's like, this is something I want to do, basically. Yeah, that's going to be my world for the next three months, six months. Yeah. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. That's why I did these other easy paid paychecks because then I could do this. Yeah. And have James, have you ever seen uh the documentary? I think it's a series or maybe a two parter, mm-hmm. a decade under the influence about New Hollywood in the seventies. I love yeah, I actually I think it's in storage, but I have that D V D from it was from a closing Hollywood video. Oh. And I bought it for, yep. for super cheap. Like it was like a dollar. Yeah. And it's it's great. It's fantastic stuff. Like that, that's some good stuff. Yeah, that's that was IFC, right? Yeah, IFC. I, I think so. Yeah, but it, it was it was great. The uh, the the late Ted DeMay uh, was the director of it. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I remember so much about that. But also Robert Altman in that series talking about how and complaining, rightfully so, mm-hmm. you could say, <laughs> how it's so hard for him to get money to make a movie these days. And yeah, and th- and this was even like the early two thousand. So I I have to imagine John Sales is a guy that's like recognizes that. And like yeah, that's why I do all these writing things so that I can put money into the movies I want to make. Myself, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like in some way, I can if I can be a producer on it, I can actually control it a little bit more mm-hmm. than if I just I'm um, work for hire. Yeah, yeah. And usually, yeah, you can tell he's a guy like he writes and directs. And to me, that's like a different level than just being a director. Like you're writing this so you know where it's coming from, but also you need to know how you're going to budget it. Like, you know, you, you, there's all these different things to me that like it's much more tough for like a filmmaker like that. That might sound weird, but I think like when you have more jobs, like, you know, like when, like someone like John Carpenter, when he's, he's writing and directing one of his films and doing the score and just like, it's a little more to it than just okay. I got hired to direct this script that I, I liked the script when I read it. Let's do it. But I have these producers that are gonna give me twenty million. Cool. 
with John Sales, it feels more like personal. It's like, okay, I want to tell this story. Mm. And I'll do it no, I'll do it any way I can. And you have to imagine Sales is probably maybe not always hustling, but he's always working. But yeah. at the end of the day when he retires or you know, or or leaves this mortal coil, mm-hmm. he's probably gonna be the kind of guy that can say, like, listen, I did what I wanted to do and isn't that just basically kind of what everyone wants from their their life, their work, their world, basically? Yeah, I mean, I did it my way. You know, like the Sinatra, you know, I did it my way. <laughs> and like, and to me, that's telling, like, for a, for any creative person. Like, mm-hmm. I did it my way. It wasn't about the money, necessarily. It wasn't about becoming famous, either. It was about, this is my chance to tell these stories that someone else would never do. Mm-hmm. And you look at his career, it's very weird, like, it's, it just goes between different, like, true life stuff to, like, neo-Western mystery to a film about women trying to adopt babies from a different country, but, like, the politics down there, and you go, damn, like, it's, like, always, there's always something about them that makes sense that it's the same person, but at the same time, like, if I threw you, like, if if I had all his films, like, on Blu-ray or DVD, it would not look like the career of one person. It no, would look like yeah. select, like maybe from one company, but not one person making these films. And that's, to me, that's a, that's a triumph. Like, you know, you should, you know, I, I know he's like pretty proud of his career, but he doesn't like scream about it. He's very humble. He's very, when you watch any interviews with him, he's very calm. He'll always jokingly um, correct people on certain pronunciations. <laughs> like, like mate, mate one. A lot of people say mate one. Mm-hmm. But he's like, he'll just subtle. He won't be like, you're an idiot. He'll be like, it's actually Mate Wan. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> and that's it. And you're like, he's such a nice guy. You're like, oh, he's so calm about it. And like, that's why I wish more of his stuff was like on like special edition Blu-ray, you know, companies. And that's why I think Criterion doing that with that film is like the first step. Like now you're going to have this little film resurgence of him. And with him doing that Django film, if it ever gets made, that might bring him to a new light too. Like him writing that, we'll get that new praise. Like, oh wow, this film's really, you know, the script's really good. Oh wait, he's been working for forty years. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah. He's been like that secret weapon for like filmmakers and himself, and it's like finally, you know. But yeah, that's why I'm excited to talk about some of his films and to and hell to do rewatch it because a lot of these I haven't watched in. Probably five to ten years. Okay. So, I'm so, excited, you know. James is going to be rewatching with me then, basically, is how we're saying. Yeah, you know, yeah, because I want to watch again and then see what you have to say about them. <laughs> so then, before we get into the specific recommendations... Yeah. If, let's say, you, you know, find a magic lamp, rub it, genie comes out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And <laughs> the genie grants you um, one wish when it comes to filmmaking okay would your wish be more i want my career to be like john sales in the sense of i'm going to make a whole lot of stuff i'm not really going to get praise i'm not really going to be remembered right. that much but i'm going to do it or do you do the route of like i don't even want to say don coscarelli but i'll say don coscarelli just because it's at the front mm. of my mind where you make that thing that everyone remembers you for but the rest of your career is kind of like eh i don't really care play the hits which is sad because being a big Don Coscarelli fan, I love all his films. 
especially the hits. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that band you love. Sure. But, I mean, mean, I'll be honest, like, loving both in different ways, um, I would pick Sales, because I think Sales, like, while Coscarelli makes films that I love and, like, that I'll always cherish, and I'll I'll probably rewatch more often than a John Sales film, but ultimately, I think, for the most part, John Sales makes films that stick with you. Like, these films stick with me, like... Okay. I still remember scenes from a lot of these films that I haven't seen in like 10 years. And it's memorable not because they're flashy. It's more like these little subtle moments that stick with you and like kind of linger in your mind. And, you know, they have like basically a lot of times you could see like some of the social issues he's trying to talk about. And he doesn't hammer it in, but it also he's not sugarcoating it either. Sure. You know, he's, a, he's a, to me, he's like he's like a. In, in college or in high school, like that good professor, that good teacher that you just wanted to stay in his class or her class just because they taught so so well and like were a storyteller mm-hmm. while they taught you that they didn't feel like you were in school. And I've had a few teachers like that, a few professors, a few teachers that it always felt like fun. Mm-hmm. But but even if the p- topics weren't fun, you still like, like okay, I'm, I'm listening, I'm Wow, he's telling a different way. Like, I mean, I had a teacher that taught Shakespeare completely different than any other teacher I had because he acted it out in front of us. <laughs> so it's him by himself just, like, doing Hamlet, doing the sword fights and stuff. And you're like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> but in the best way of a teacher, like, that's memorable. Like, you're like, man, this guy – and I. that's why I love Shakespeare to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 30 – almost 30 years later. I'm still, I'm still, in, I'm still into uh, Shakespeare, you know? <laughs> There's a reason for that. But anyway, um, on to happier things, which yeah. is uh, the rec- the three recommendations you have for okay. John Sales. So, beginning with number one, yeah. James, in any order that you prefer, what is your first recommendation for John Sales? The way I'm going to go about it is I'm going to suggest from early to like later, okay. you know, so you could see the transition if there is any to your opinion. So, mm-hmm. the first one is the brother from another planet. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think it's. The term is low key science fiction. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not outwardly like boom 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 spaceships and stuff, but it's about an alien that lands on Earth and he happens to be a black man. Mm-hmm. And he lands in New York City. And it's him in Harlem and that's all I'm gonna say. Like I'd rather go in as blind as possible, but it's got like this great cool cast and you'll 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 be like, Wow, okay, this is very interesting. And again, wrote direct and edited it john sales so okay. like a lot of times he yeah he's very in tune most of the time he edits his own stuff so it's kind of love but that's i think what is that 1984 i think 1984 yeah yep. 1984 so again costs only three to fifty thousand dollars so you could see this is like a, a through line mm-hmm. um years later in um 88 he got more money to make eight men out mm-hmm. that's the second film it's about the 1919 world series based on the book from 1963 about the Black Sox, which was the big black guy that baseball had up until the steroids many years later. So baseball's got this thing. Every so often, someone screws up. So, But, you know, it's all about the stingy owner, Comiskey, which Comiskey Park, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah, it, and it's got a great, it's got like an insane cast. Like, you look at the cast, like everyone from John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, Christopher Lloyd, D.B. Sweeney, like oh. all these like hot young actors and really good character actors, like Michael Rooker, 
isn't it? This, this is real funny because um, this is sort of like yeah. I don't know if it was before or after '88 that I think I'm pretty sure it was after that uh, Coppola did um, The Outsiders. That might have been it. Might have been before actually. Yeah, I think Outsiders was before. You might you might but but just looking at that cast and just like every hot actor at that time was in that movie. Like you had I know Tom Cruise, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze. Um, yeah. Matthew uh, Dillon. Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah, young Matt Dillon, yeah, because then, because then Matt Dillon did Rumblefish. Yeah, with, after yeah with Coppola, and so yeah, you look Coppola. at this like it's a time, it's a time capsule of the hot actors, but also he also throws in the really good character actors in there to almost support them. Well, you mentioned David Strathairn also in Eight Men Out, brother from another planet, Joe Morton, who you might know as Miles Dyson from Terminator Two. Um, yeah. is the important one. And, and I love movies that do that where it sort of takes where the, the genre sort of exists on the periphery. Um, yes. like Eternal Sunshine kind of does that. Um, they do well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it like I, I like the term low key sci fi where it's there, yeah, the science is like science fiction's there, but it's not outwardly science fiction, so yeah. it almost can appeal to norm like to a normal. I always joke it's to appeal to like people like my mom. Who does, is it's like if you if she hears science fiction, she will not watch it. But if I could sneak it in there and then she watches it and goes, well, that was good. But I see why you didn't tell me what it was about. Right. Well, you and, know what I mean. Like, and just just using the some of the the trappings or, or or kind of the window dressing of the genre to explore the human side of stuff. I I don't love a lot of stuff that Britt Marling has done or created i couldn't really get through the oa but another earth i love because it's a great example of that where it's like mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. a, a duplicate earth has appeared we're not going to focus too much on the why as much as what are the emotional consequences that come about from that thing happening right and that and to me that's i like when sci-fi could do that or like hell even though it's pure sci-fi stuff like primer yeah where mm -hmm. you're not showing like you you're showing the science part of it more than the fiction part Mm -hmm. even though it is science fiction. So, like, stuff like that interests me, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like a good alien killer movie anytime. <laughs> but give me something a little... You know, if I see... That's why I like Brother from Another Planet so, like, different. You're like, oh, it is sci-fi, but it's not... It's not there. But, um, but then the third film is 1996's Lone Star. Mm -hmm. um, another great cast, you know, Chris Cooper... Clifton James, another guy that always worked with him, Chris Christopherson, Matthew McConaughey, before he was... In Texas all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. That's probably around the same time, I think, actually. You, you might be right. Hmm. Let me, let me, let me I, investigate that while you talk a bit more about Lone Star. Yeah, so, like, Lone Star is a neo-Western mystery film. Um, small, it's in a small town in South Texas, and basically a body's found, and... Who was his body? Who you know? And basically, all the in this small town, these relationships and stuff, and it's it's just a cool. And you know, you even have um one actress I love a lot, um Elizabeth Pena. Oh yeah, it? Mm -hmm. who I love. You know, and then hell, Francis McDormand also in this. Oh yeah, okay. But almost to to me, a good double feature would be Lone Star and Blood Simple. That Ooh. would be like okay if you want a good like neo neo-noir western that dirty like you know sand you know like like tumbleweeds type of feel 
you could do those two, two films together. But it's very underrated. Lone Star, again, I think... Let me see. Yeah. That's probably one of his bigger hits. It cost $3 million, made thirteen. Okay. You know, that's kind of like where you're getting with him. You know, and that, you know, his film... I think, funny enough, I think Castle Rock Entertainment. We, brief tangent here. Yeah. Rob Reiner's had an interesting career as well, considering... Dude, that's another one that... If you ever do Rob Reiner, I would love to do Rob Reiner. Because he's got a weird career. Uh, Misery is a fantastic fucking movie, and yet... He's done some stuff yeah. which I have had zero interest in in watching. Well, no. I mean, no. It, you're right. Well, hell, like, you know, people always think of certain filmmakers for, like, Stephen King adaptations. Mm-hmm. They always forget Rob Reiner. Yep. Because you have Misery and you have Stand By Me. Oh, stuff. I forgot like, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you're like, whoa, those are two Stephen King stories, too. You're like, holy shit. And he, to me, he captures that Stephen King feel in two completely different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Stand By Me is all about the kids in, like, Stephen King movies. And Misery is just sometimes how you can have the, the small, enclosed, just two people mm-hmm. and the horror of that. Yeah. Like, Gerald's, Gerald's Game does that same. He, <sighs> he copied, not copied, but the story itself, you know, it's very um, similar, I guess you could say. Yeah. But not, you know? But that's a whole other I, I'm I'm happy that Mike Flanagan exists. I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah, Mike Flanagan's... Yeah, that's he, I, I like Mike Flanagan a lot. That's yeah, that's I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, in an answer to the burning question, uh, Lone Star was a year after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. that Matthew McConaughey okay. was in. So, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Beginnings. I, I've already clicked away from the page, so I don't care. The beginning. I don't know. They they kept changing. Like I I actually again, joking enough, what we were talking about vampires. Um, to complete my original four Texas Chainsaw Massacre special edition. Uh, I actually got that um, Blu-ray from Scream Factory. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't watched it since it came out, but I mean, you got Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Is is that Viggo Mortensen's in that too? Isn't he? No, no, Viggo Mortensen's in the third one, Leatherface. Oh, okay. Which is funny to me because you have the third one, you have this handsome, like Southern-looking guy at Viggo. Yeah. Then the next film, it's it's Matthew McConaughey, but like they're not the same character. <laughs> Like, how many family members does this family have? <laughs> how hard is it to make a Leatherface? I don't know. It, it seems like it's really hard to make a film about him now. That is a, a topic for another time. But, of course, getting yes. back to um, John Sayles and Lone Star. It's funny because if you were to judge Lone Star just by its cover, like, it looks like such a low-budget horror film because it's got the sheriff star with, like, the skull superimposed. Like, okay, come on now. Yep. To be honest, when I first saw that poster grow, growing up, I was like, I thought it was a horror film. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like, oh, what's this? And it's completely not that. And it's like, I think that's kind of like, I don't know. I don't I don't see him doing that poster like John Sayles. Oh, yeah, let me put a skull in a in that. And like, because I'm thinking it's going to be like some thing about evil spirits in like Texas. <laughs> yeah. You know, but no, it's not that at all. Like, that's a. Do not judge the book by its cover. Do not judge the movie by its poster. Yeah, I mean, it might just be because they actually just find a skeleton. So we'll we'll broadcast that right out that there's a there's exactly a, there's a skeleton in this movie and a sheriff. So um, yeah, let's just put those together. I guess. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah, but um, and uh, I I talked about um how sales has been nominated for two Oscars. One of those was for the screenplay for Lone Star. So yep. Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be intrigued to to see that because I, I think especially also everyone remembers 
you know, the Academy Awards, you can talk about if they're valid or not. Everyone remembers, like, the directors that won and were nominated, but the screenplays and the screeners, they kind of overlook because, once again, it's, you're a, right, yeah. it's a thing of, uh, once a screenplay kind of gets submitted to a studio, the studio can do whatever they want with it, but John Sales was a guy who was like, no, I'm, I'm writing the stuff I want to write. Right, and I think that's, and that's what's weird to me, too, like, you know, you have, like, I don't know if, I don't think Lone Star was nominated for actual best film or best director, but yet, the guy wrote the script. That's why it's weird. Like you know, it's it's a that's a whole other conversation about yeah. the Oscars. I, I mean, um, it's funny because people remember Akira Kurosawa as like one of the most influential directors of all time. But he's he's got a somewhat famous quote that I am going to not remember specifically. But basically, his idea is like, if you you know you have a great script, you have a great movie. You can't have a great movie without a great script. Like the best uh, the best a director can do with a bad script is just make an okay movie. It, and that's very true too. I've, that's a good point because, like, then and then again, there's a bad, there's great scripts that bad directors get a hold of and just make a piece of crap. And you're like, man, there's some potential in there. That's why there's certain films you go, man, that'd be a good remake. Mm-hmm. You can remake that movie well. Like, remake the bad movies. Don't remake the good ones. I would, I would, I would absolutely love that. But, um, so basically, as a a, a recap, uh, we've got Brother from Another Planet. We've got Eight Men Out, and we've got Lone Star. And yeah, this is going to be an interesting swath, because it also seems like it goes from low budget to... I don't want to call Eight Men Out a prestige picture, but still kind of like this This seems like it was the one that sort of had some mainstream appeal uh, behind it. And then um, Lone Star is the one that actually gets the Oscar nomination for something. But let's see. I, I'm, I'm eager about this, because as I said, in the past, even... Even some directors that I've covered on here that I haven't known a whole lot about before, Ingmar Bergman comes to mind, David Lean comes to mind, I could still at least kind of have some general knowledge about them. John Sayles, I was a complete blank slate coming in here, so this is all going to be entirely new for me. And, and that's exciting. I mean, I think what I suggest is watch the films. If you like what you see, um, like, watch, like watch the man himself like talk about film and then you'll see like it'll make sense mm-hmm. like too you're like okay there there's the through line like it's this guy that just loves film and just <laughs> likes to talk about everything from like his girl friday to like la strada you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. and i love that you know it's like you could tell like he just wants to make movies and just wants to write and like he luckily has done a lot of both and like i'll be honest i haven't seen the last I, you know what? I haven't seen the last three of his actual writing directing credits, like mm-hmm. Honey Dripper, Amigo, and Gopher Sisters. Never seen those, so I might have to find them somehow and and watch them too. You know. Okay. Um, and if I watch these and I don't like them, I'm gonna come to your apartment and breathe on you. Um, That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> might as well put me out of my misery. It's okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, uh, that's terrible. Well, uh, James, at this point, IMDb listener or. IDMB listeners, sorry. Sorry, Internet Movie Database, please don't sue me. Um, they should know um, enough about you, but if they don't, or if they've forgotten, remind them a bit about who you are, where they can find you, etc., etc. Well, besides um, mostly watching bad Lovecraft adaptations with you, <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> I know, there's, there it is again. But luckily, the last episode we did was good. Woo. Um 
but besides that, I mean, you know, formerly of so many different podcasts and stuff, but, you know, like most things in my life got in the way and had to, um, you know, actually work at, a, you know, a soul crushing job, but getting paid a good, good money for that. So it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing to say that it's like, oh yeah, you know, it sucks, but I'm getting paid at least, you know? Yeah. Um, but besides that, you know, being a big film lover and just trying to always trying to figure out what's next, you know, trying to keep my creative juices flowing. So sure. thanks to you, I have that aspect, you know, like part of that going every so often. But trying to do other stuff maybe might be in a month or so might be starting a website with some friends. But we'll see how how that goes. There you know. we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, like trying to get it out there like with a few guys so we'll see where that goes but again it's one of those fears like you want to start a website but nowadays is that even monetarily possible yep not really but at the same time who wants to hear more from like you know young white guys talking about film so you have to give it a different you know, i hear i hear you buddy persona you know what i mean like yep. it, it sucks sometimes you go like oh you know Will you listen to me? Because I'm not, I'm not like I'm basically every voice. You know what I mean? Like it's it sucks sometimes. It's like I look at it and go, shit. Should I even say anything? But like when I see like complaint, you know, people yelling about a movie on, on Twitter or something. Like, do people want to hear what I have to say? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And like, I, and like, unlike a lot of people, I don't say anything. Then I go, okay, you know what? Nah, my my opinion's not needed here. I'll go to the next one. This, you know. This is, maybe some people might cringe, might roll their eyes, might uh, stop listening to me because of this. But yeah, we on the last episode you and I recorded, which was the Call of Cthulhu episode about Prince of Darkness, I talked about yeah. the, Sh- the Shutter series, the cursed films. It's a lot of fun. Um, but you'll also notice um, a lot of the experts they go to to talk about film, film history, a lot of other topics... Young white guys. I've heard that complaint. I heard there's like one woman. There's one woman. And... There's one African American guy, and I and I. This is to be clear. I'm not saying this is a shutter problem. This is a problem where no. the gatekeepers yeah. of this kind of information have been so homogenous for such a long time. I recognize the hypocrisy of this saying this as someone who is a host of two movie podcasts. Maybe it's, I know it's maybe I know. maybe it's time. Uh, people like us kind of start stepping back a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe, like, you know, my suggestion is this. Say, like, I'm a like a critic that a show wants to use. And say, like, you know, I really want to do it, but, like, suggest other people, too, that you know that maybe nobody knows about. Like, like I have a lot of friends that basically, you know, like, like but see, that's the thing. Shudder had the great series about black horror. Oh, that documentary is fantastic, you know, yeah. Our, our noir. Our noir. It's great. great. It's fucking great. It's fantastic. And, like, they got people for that. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. It's weird. Like, like, like you said, I don't blame Shudder primarily. I blame, no. like, it's a societal thing. It's, you know, us as white guys, it's like, oh, yeah, well, we're, we're doing, you know, podcasts ourselves. But at the same time, like, I think that's something my friends and I that are doing, trying to do the site. I'm like, well, I've right away, I was like, well, we need more women. We need more people of color we need more like transgender like we need all these different people because i don't want to be like every freaking website out there 
<laughs> like a film website, you look at the names, you go, okay, it's mostly the same. Yeah. You know? And and I, I joked at the beginning of this, you know, calling James my silver medal for, for this episode. <laughs> I, I'm actively trying to kind of reach out to other people, like, listen, let's let's get people in here who are not straight white dudes talking about filmmakers who are not straight white right. dudes. It, I'm I'm a nobody, so it's hard for me to kind of like, hey, here's a reason why you should come on my podcast of this nobody to talk about this stuff. But I I'm I know I'm trying. I'm really trying. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, what can you do? You know, it's it, you know what speaking about it, I think is better than most what most people do. You know. Well, yeah. Um. Also, it's funny. Uh, shortly after I saw Horror Noir on Shutter. I went on Amazon to try and find uh, the book that is kind of based on that. This, you know, the and outer print, hundreds of dollars if you want to buy a copy. Yeah, same here. I was like, oh, I want to buy. Oh, yeah. God uh, damn it! And then, and then you think, just put it back. Like, I mean, I know it's a rights issue, but it's like, man, like it would have been perfect. Like, put it back out of paperback edition. Yeah. Add, add a chapter. You charge twenty. Boom. Make us killing. Similarly. On the Cursed Films, one of the guys they talk about is a film critic who wrote a book about the Twilight Zone movie. Um, mm. Similarly out of print, hundreds of dollars if you want to find it. It's like, yeah, all right. But, um, yeah, so that's been our discussion on John Sales, <laughs> etc. Um, yes. You can always email me at um, youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Nolan Fixes Teeth. You can catch up on back episodes of I Do Movies Badly if you go to battleshippretension.com. Find I Do Movies Badly in the podcast drop-down menu. Um, or I Do Movies Badly.podbean.com. You can find the cast of Cthulhu, James and I's uh, podcast reviewing the cinematic adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft at castofcthulhu.podbean.com. And um, I think on that final note, I can say, like everyone, we're eagerly awaiting lovecraft country a new trailer just came out today i have not watched it yet but i will shortly. it looks good yeah it looks good and and you know what it, it it looks like it's already dealing with the whole racial thing in a different way which is exciting thank you jordan Peel. yeah i actually just i actually just ordered the uh the book too so hopefully i'll get that in like three weeks i yeah i have it so. on my i have it on my kindle i need to i need to i've got no excuse i'm i'm self-quarantined i need to I need to watch read, it. Yeah. yeah, I need to read it now. But um yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you everyone for um listening, James. Thank you for uh joining me again. Um Anytime. listeners be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking about Brother from Another Planet and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 